Welcome to Global Data Pod Research Wrap. I'm Nora Santivani, and with me today is Sim Bang Ong, who heads up our EM Asia Economic Research Team. Welcome, Sim Bang. Thanks, Nora, and thanks um, for, for doing this. Great. So today we're going to talk about a, a piece that Sim Bang and his team recently published, uh, looking at the, I suppose, changing nature of EM Asia's tech and broader industrial cycle and how it relates to the global cycle. I think this note for me is particularly important in the current context of regional and sectoral growth divergences, a lot of uh, moving parts here. I mean, when we look at global manufacturing, uh, clearly that sector has taken a beating during the past year. It's been a weak spot in an otherwise fairly resilient global growth picture. When I'm looking at the high frequency data, there are signs of recovery after several quarters of contraction, but it's been difficult to interpret the, the monthly moves in global industry um, with this backdrop of regional divides, very noisy data. So we often look at uh, the Asian economies as a, as a timely indicator of, of the global manufacturing sector. Uh, given their, their prominent place in the, the global value-added chain. In particular, we've taken signs of the recovery in Asia's tech cycle recently as supporting our view of a lift in, in global manufacturing. But why don't we um, start, Simbang, by you talking us through the broad contours of really what's been happening to the Asian regional uh, IP cycle. Um, you know, tech, non-tech, I know there have been important differences here. What are you seeing right now? It's, it's important just to take a step back and to understand that, you know, within Asia, there are multiple sectoral threats that we've been looking at. Obviously, we've got the tech piece, we've got the general machinery piece, and then we've also got the auto piece. And there are different, I would say, dynamics between each of these. But the one we tend to look at and focus on the most is really tech, only because it's such a ubiquitous input in, into pretty much all industrial activity. Um, but I think if we were to take a step further back, it's, it's been a very interesting, I wouldn't say, necessary divergence, but there's been an acceleration in tech production, particularly in the semiconductor space, over the last, I would say, since 2015, 2016, where you've seen a very clear divergence, if not acceleration, in the semiconductor slash tech space. And we think this owes to the broader, I would say, penetration of semiconductors and digitization into modern industry and, um, and activity as we know it. So it should therefore be no surprise to see tech generally outperform. But I would say COVID-19, because of the very significant disruptions, both the demand and supply side, created some very unusual perturbations in the tech cycle. So we initially had a very strong run up from 2020 all the way through to the early part, second quarter of 2022. And then we had this very large collapse in production, tech production, semiconductors in particular. And then we're starting to see a recovery, I would say, in second quarter, and hopefully that will expand to third quarter. So our description is that we had a bit of a very strong demand pickup, followed by a supply response. But what happened was that um, mm -hmm. as the demand started to, to taper off, the supply didn't really get, get, get uh, take, take hint of that until much later. So you had a very sharp inventory um, um, expansion as a lot of that supply was then part in inventories. As demand now starts recovering, we now see a little bit of convergence between the supply side and the demand side. And this is now, in our view, leading to this uh, recovery in the tech sector. Now, the big question for us is how much more fuel is there in the global um, industrial cycle, particularly on the goods side? And if there is some fuel in that, then you know that gives us some, I would say, optimism that this um, 
pick up in tech and particularly semiconductors can actually continue, if not 3Q, hopefully into 4Q as well. Now, when we look at tech broadly, I've just described it, you know, as a fairly um, a generic homogenous input. Actually, there's some fairly interesting threads that run through our region. So when you break tech apart, I mean, you've got analog chips, you've got high-end logic chips, you've got memory chips. And what we find in Asia is that different countries do different things within that broader supply chain. So when we look at, for example, Korea and Taiwan, they are right at the leading edge on the semiconductor cycle, with Korea much more involved in the memory chip space, in Taiwan much more involved in the logic space, in Japan and, and Thailand, more involved, I would say, in the analog space, which are more relevant for the auto sector. So what we're seeing, therefore, is a fairly divergent um, dynamic here. So the auto space is recovering. We're seeing some of that in the semicon space as well. But by, I think the more interesting aspect for us really is a semiconductor space as pertains to Taiwan and Korea, because they are the leading edge of that cycle. Okay, great. Yeah, so we'll come to the the country specifics in a, in a little bit, but first I want to kind of come back to to what you mentioned um, just at the start there in terms of, you know, the relationship between the Asian tech cycle and the global cycle, right? This is something that we keep coming back to in our own internal discussions. Every time we talk about global manufacturing, we start talking about Asian tech cycle. So as you mentioned, uh, during the pandemic, there was a big um, up and down swing in in tech, tech production. Um, we were probably in a situation of excess supply at some point. We had that inventory overhang, which then got corrected. And we're now starting to see you know, that inventory correction come to an end and tech production starting to pick back up again. Now, through these up and down swings, is your sense that the relationship between, um, you know, Asian uh, tech and global capex, has that changed fundamentally? Or is this just something that's been distorted by the pandemic? Uh, you mentioned in your note, I mean, at least one of the main um, takeaways I'm actually getting from your note is that you believe that it, the Asia tech sector is now um, less carries less signal about the broader uh, industrial cycle and hence the global capex cycle than it did in the past. So what are we seeing here? Is this a temporary um, shift in this correlation? Is it more permanent? Should we even look to uh, the Asian economies as bellwethers in the way we did in the past? There is still an element of that cyclicality that still pertains to the Asian semiconductor cycle. But I think one thing that's important to note is that Given the increase in digitization, the demand for memory chips, data centers getting built out, it would strike me that the semiconductor cycle would effectively have its own demand dynamics, a little bit separate from the broader industrial cycle. So I would not be surprised to see in the coming quarters, if not coming years, to see a gradual decorrelation between what the tech cycle is doing, particularly in the semiconductor space and the broader industrial cycle. So in as much as we, we thought we started to see a little bit of that in the, in the, in the, in the, in the years prior to COVID, um, I suspect that that um, decorrelation, if you will, will actually reemerge over the next, I would say, coming quarters, I mean, even as companies begin to digitize more aggressively on the back of, of what happened in the last couple of years. So that in itself could actually drive the tech sector in a slightly more, I would say, robust fashion than what the industrial cycle would normally would, would otherwise suggest. So, yes, in a word, I think there is a dynamic that, that could be uh, coming into the picture. So what? Okay, so what? What are some of these idiosyncratic forces driving Asian tech? I mean, you started to mention some of them, but if you could just go through um, broadly, what what are these 
these drivers that we should be thinking about that are more sort of idiosyncratic here? The things that we're, we've seen already, and this is becoming more and more, I would say, prevalent, um, is this idea that we're seeing data centers getting built up. So Singapore um, is one of the data center cores within the region. Um, and what we're seeing there is a substantial amount of capital being invested in Singapore. And a necessary condition of that, uh, not just in terms of the overall ecosystem, is a supply of memory chips. And what we've seen, for example, in the case of Korea, which I mentioned earlier, is a fairly large provider of um, high-end memory DRAM chips, um, is that they've actually seen a fairly sharp pickup in the DRAM um, wafer fabrication um, production. Um, so this, to me, speaks to this idea that, you know, that data center demand is coming in. And given that the, um, the amount of data and storage that we require in the coming years is going to remain fairly high, I would imagine that uh, that cycle could actually run slightly separate from um, what we see in, in the industrial sector. Now, that being said, what's also very interesting is that historically you've seen the Korean and the Taiwanese semiconductor cycles move pretty much in sync. And this generally embeds this idea that when you buy an electronic product, be it a phone or PC or whatever, there's generally roughly not quite equal, but similar um, proportion of components that require both of memory and logic chips. But what we've seen is a rather underperformance of um, logic um, chip demand out or production out of Taiwan. And in, in our view, this could really reflect uh, a somewhat uh, a nuanced change in the demand cycle. But again, these are still very early days. We do eventually expect uh, logic chip production in Taiwan to pick up following the memory chip cycle. But the fact that these divergences is actually quite interesting because historically they've pretty much been joined at the hip. Now, whether this is just a lag effect, we're not sure, but it's certainly something we're monitoring. But I think it speaks to this broader idea, Nora, that there are going to be fairly different um, and somewhat idiosyncratic um, cyclical drivers of, of, of the tech sector. And we can't just talk about tech generically. We also have to talk about sector-specific areas as well. Um, and this is, I think, you know, where... Asia is actually quite interesting because we have a plethora of, of very different, I would say, segments within the, the tech uh, slash semiconductor space. Right. Yeah. So it feels like this sort of specialization across countries is is increasingly important. And, you know, as you mentioned, for Korea, um, the dominance is in the um so you've got logic chips and high-end memory chips in Korea and Taiwan, respectively, right? So those are the, the, the specializations. And then for some of the other Asian countries, I think you mentioned Japan and Thailand, it would be more geared towards the automotive sector um, in terms of the, the tech, um, tech inputs. Now, in terms of what we're seeing in the semiconductor production space right now, from looking at one of your charts, it looks like it's Korea, really, that's driving the rebound. Is that correct? And I think it's because, I mean, it could be memory related, um, which is which is our suspicion. Um, so in other words, it's a data center build up, if you will, um, but the logic chip uh, production should follow. Um, and, and so therefore, you know, we're quite optimistic time will follow and train um, with, with Korea, at least in, uh, leading the initial charge up. I see. Okay, great. So now moving a little bit beyond um, some of these factors, we also have in the background quite important changes in supply chains, right? Um, and here we have the impact of the US-China trade tensions, we have the COVID disruptions themselves, we've ha which have um, instigated um, some, some relocations. Uh, more broadly, industrial policy and DM is now prioritizing, you know, national security over profit. So we're no longer producing in the cheapest location. We're producing in the friendliest location. So all of these have important medium long term uh, impacts. And, and, you know, these are kind of potentially more structural changes that are that are ongoing. 
so I think in, in this sense, it's important to maybe highlight some of these sort of shifts that are taking place. Um, and we see some signs of that already in the, in the Asian data in terms of changes in uh, market shares, for example, right? Shifts away from China towards US. Can you talk us through what are the main trends we're seeing right now as a result of these supply chain relocations? is going to be potentially quite significant in the coming years. I mean, we've already seen this in the data. So just to give you a sense in terms of what the data looks like, if I can describe the chart in words, if we look at the shipments data of semiconductors over the last, I would say, 40 years or, or slightly less than since 1986, you've effectively seen an almost uninterrupted increase in Asia's share, ex-Japan, in semiconductor shipments. And that suddenly came to a change um, in 2000. 21, I would say 22, we've actually started to see a fairly notable, noticeable drop in terms of the relative shares. And in its stead, you've actually seen Europe and, and US gain relative market share in terms of shipments at the cost, I suspect, of Korea and Taiwan. So what this, I think, speaks to more broadly, why is this happening now? It's happening now, we suspect, not because of cost pressures necessarily, but exactly because of what you say in terms of French shoring or, or near shoring. And the countries that have actually picked up that slack, as I mentioned before, are Europe and, 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 and US. And together with, I would say, fairly muscular industrial policy to effectively re-onshore some of that production in their own territories, I think that's going to effectively change the landscape for the supply chain in the, in the coming years. I mean, so these are still initial steps, but I think a chart that I think um, Mike had a few weeks ago was actually very interesting. That showed you a very sharp increase, to be fair, in nominal terms, of, um, of, of um, fixed asset investment and construction for tech-related sectors. And we think this is just a hint of what could be coming down the pike. And what we've also seen related to what I've just mentioned is this shift away um, in terms of shipments away from China. And if we break down, for example, uh, shipments of tech-related products, particularly semiconductors out of Taiwan and Korea, you're seeing pretty much the same trends, where there's a declining share that's going to China and an increasing share either going to the US in the case of Korea or in the case of Taiwan, going to the US and also to the rest of the world, which suggests that there are other third countries separate from China that are benefiting from, you know, from that relocation as well. So this is not just about um, these two countries, it's about this broad, I would say, ecosystem that is changing. And so the beneficiaries will probably be US and, and, and Europe in terms of the production capacity, but also other third countries that we've not quite been able to fully identify at this point in time, but there will be beneficiaries from. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose the, the this kind of pace of relocation of supply chains is is probably quite different across countries, right? Even within the tech sector, I think you mentioned that uh, there are different degrees of flexibility in relocation. You know, some some production is a lot easier to to relocate than than others. So, can you just highlight those those main differences within which sort of production facilities are kind of more easy, easily relocated and which, which countries would then be the kind of beneficiaries or winners of, of that kind of relocation in your mind? So the general hypothesis is that, you know, you can break down the logic chips, which, which are, you know, the really high end just in terms of nanometers. So the general thinking is that the smaller the nanometer, the harder it is to effectively replicate production somewhere else. So what's interesting for us is that you'll probably see the lower end chips being produced elsewhere in third countries but the three nano and, and, and chips basically produced still within Asia. But I think what's interesting is that in the US, you start to see some of that um, those facilities being put online. Now, there are some teething pains because of 
issues around labor supply, uh, etc. But as these get worked out, we should see some of that expansion actually happen in in in, in the West and in the US and EU as well. So this obviously still early days, but the fact that they've been able to open a three nano uh, plant outside of Taiwan in in for example in the US is actually quite interesting. So it does challenge this idea that the the more so- the sophisticated chip, the harder it is to, to actually transplant it. So let's see what happens. So the, the risk is that, you know, this transplant actually can actually happen much more quickly than we think. Um, but this is just a space to watch. But I would certainly agree with the general idea that it is harder to transplant the higher ranges. But we could be wrong, uh, simply because there is um, a broad, I would say, um, impetus to actually do this quite quickly. All right. So putting all the threats together, tech, non-tech, what would be your outlook for Asian manufacturing output over the second half of the year here? Just looking at the more near-term cyclical dynamics. If, I mean, I always think of Asia as being the tail um, with, the, with the Western dog, you know, wagging um, our tail. So to look at Asia as the head, I think is probably the wrong thing. But anyway, nonetheless, um, if we are right about the global goods recovery, I would say that you know Asia will stand to benefit. I mean, we, we've already seen autos doing that. A lot of that, to, to be fair, is due to supply chain. But if we've seen that in autos, we're starting to see that in tech. And if we're right about the broader lift, then I would say you know tech will follow in train as well. So this is why I think the PMIs that are coming out, I think the advanced numbers will be next week, be very important to watch because if the new autos components do pick up you know, smartly, then I would say you know that narrative certainly has legs to run. Um, um, after a, a very weak, I would say, year and a bit um, for tech. Now, so you mentioned uh, the pickup in global goods demand, but how about China? China is increasingly a, a negative impulse here, and you know we've we've spent so much time talking about spillovers from China to the rest of the world being fairly muted, but actually spillovers to EM Asia being quite substantial, at least historically. Uh, is there reason to believe that maybe these spillovers are smaller right now from China? How do you factor that into your thinking? Sorry, this is a little bit off off the topic of the no, note, no, but no. in a way, it is related. So absolutely. I mean, I think I think that the really you note about the the whole disinflation dynamic from from China is excellent, and I think you know that's something we I mean we we have a lot of sympathy with. But that being said. When we try to map the transmission mechanisms in terms of the impulses from China to the region, what we find is that there are two divergent impulses. One that relates to domestic demand, particularly fixed asset investment, which is much more uh, a driver of commodity demand uh, in terms of real commodity demand. Um, and for the manufactured space, um, much more it's much more driven by global demand from the rest of the world. So if you have this very unusual mix of slow China, but relatively better rest of the world, this should bring Asia with it as well. So in other words, the organic impulse from China itself for manufactured goods or high manufactured goods, in our view, is relatively small or modest compared to the broader global demand. And if we do have that offset, then we should, in Asia, despite having relatively high exposure to China as an assembly hub, should benefit as well. So I would say that a US lift or a global lift is more important to us than the China slowdown per se, because um, the, the Chinese piece to, to, to us is really a marginal part, only because it is, in our view, a, um, a, a manufacturer rather than a, um, a consumer of, of, of our goods. Um, but again, I would say that you know there are other second-order effects as well. To me, um, the financial sentiment, that, that particular transmission mechanism, something we, we don't give a lot of, of attention to, but I think we should pay attention to that only because 
one of the things we've noticed in China is that a weaker CNY will have repercussions for the region, um, specifically since 2015-2016, where the CNY has, because of its CFS near structure, um, has imparted a, a fairly strong anchor to the way regional currencies behave, um, especially on a, on a bilateral dollar basis. So if we do see CNY continue to weaken, we should invariably um, in, um, expect uh, uh, Asian currencies to, to weaken as well. Now, how that then impacts sentiment in terms of the broader asset markets remains to be seen, but it's something to be mindful of, um, separate from the cyclical piece. All right, perfect. Okay, so expecting some lift in the second half depends a lot on global goods demand in your view, but clearly Korea and Taiwan are at the leading edge of the tech lift going on right now, given their unique roles in semiconductor production. But you're saying we shouldn't read too much into this in, in, in terms of what this means for the global uh, CapEx cycle, because there are some of these idiosyncratic forces going on, which um, are driving tech higher, but doesn't necessarily imply that we're going to see uh, that much of um, a follow through to, to global capex. Is that is that a fair assessment of? I would say yes, um, because we suspect that the global tech cycle will be driven by other factors. But I would say yeah. in the very near term, uh, there is a certain degree of I would say congruence in the cycle or. or, or movement in the cycle but as the cycle matures i would expect the tech cycle to be driven by different factors separate from what's happening in the global industry um so i would expect a near-term lift but over the medium term um i, 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 I expect i would expect to see some pace, pace synchronicity if you will perfect okay let's end on that note uh thank you very much for for joining us and talking through this um fascinating note Thank you to our listeners for uh, tuning in, and we hope to continue the conversation on the next Global Data Pod. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, All Rights Reserved. This episode was recorded on August 17, 2023.